Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available at thejazzsession.com and for free in iTunes. This week's guest is one of my favorites, Hugh Masakela. The trumpeter and flugelhornist's new album is called Pola. From that album, here's Mwanayu Wakula. My guest is trumpeter and flugelhornist Hugh Masakela, and his new album, which is pronounced Pola, is out now. Uh, and the trumpeter has, uh, I guess, seen fit to kind of go back into some tunes you'd been working on over the years, but now felt it was the right time to record. Is that right? Yeah, well, you know, I'm always writing songs, but uh, these are the songs which we chose with a producer who's a young man from uh, uh, Malawi who lives in South Africa, and uh, he's actually in my South African band, although I couldn't bring them here, and he's a brilliant producer. And the one thing he said was uh, that I should try and uh, be calm because I'm usually screaming in all my songs, and uh, also that I shouldn't beat up the trumpet so much, play it really relaxed. And um, uh, that's one of the reasons why I named the album Paula, which means to heal, to relax, to be cool, to chill. We chose them. We chose these songs out of about 25 songs, and these are the songs that Eric really liked, and they're the ones that we recorded. Yes. Did it was it difficult for you to to get into a, a calm space and to, to to change that approach to playing? 
for this album? Well, uh, you know, for for a while when we started, but uh, after that, uh, it was quite easy because he would stop me. I got too excited. He would say, "Hey, Abraham, Paula, Paula." <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say that I mean, your flugelhorn playing on this record, I I think is very intense. I mean, the 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 musical settings may be calm, but it. There's a difference between, I guess, being calm and being not engaged, and it sounds like you're very, very engaged with this music. I mean, it, it seems like... Oh, yeah, I mean, it's calm, but it's the intensity is there. It doesn't go away. Can you talk a little bit about how you first met Eric Pagliani, the producer of this record? I met... There's a, there's a young uh, lady called Zama Jobe in South Africa. who's was a brilliant singer, and he produced her album, and I liked very much what he did. And um, I did a concert with a whole lot of, of uh, divas, and she was one of them. And he came as he came to work on uh, the concert as a uh, uh, music director. And um, uh, we became friends, and uh, then I introduced him to a young folk singer who uh, had brought a whole lot of songs to me uh, to try and record, but he sang them so beautifully, played them on the guitar. And um, I said, uh, no, you should do your own album. So Eric produced him, and he's like uh, the master of spas, you know, of minimalism. So when I listened to what he had done, I um, asked him if he would consider producing me, and uh, he said he'd be very honored. And we did this album, it took us about two years. You know, sometimes uh, he'd say, well, let's just leave it for two months and clear our ears of it. So we did it in a very relaxed manner, but it came out beautiful eventually. And are the musicians on this recording, are they the regular members of your band, or were they people you, you picked specially for this project? Now they're the regular members of my, my, you know, my new band. Eric plays the guitar in my new band, the drummer. And the keyboard player also in the band. Bass player, uh, uh, well, we, we, we use a couple of bass players. But uh, the final Zulu, the bass player is the only one who is from my, from my um, old band. And were the other musicians people who Eric knew and suggested? Yeah, or? Eric chose them, yeah. Well, it seems like he, uh, he did a great job. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about some of the uh, the individual tunes? For example, uh, "Sunny Boy" seems like a, a very pointed lyric. Is that either uh, biographical or autobiographical? Uh, yeah, it... well, it's semi semi um, autobiographical, but it really is about uh, encouraging parents to um, nurture the talents of their children instead of forcing them to be what they want them to be. You know, I, for me to become a professional musician, I came from a family of community workers and academics, and they expected me to become like a doctor or a teacher or a health inspector or, you know, and, and uh, an academic kind of person. And they were very disappointed when um, I decided I was, when I was 16 that I was going to be a professional musician. And uh, my father actually flipped out and like, kicked my behind, so I, I had to run away from home. And later on, Zeke Sunkosi was a great uh, musician, but he knew my parents and uh, uh, was very close to my father. 
invited them to a session uh, uh, where I was playing, and he led them in just as I was um, soloing. And they'd never really heard me play except when I practiced in the garage, and like they were blown away because uh, I was playing in a big band with like highly respected musicians, professional musicians, and they became my biggest supporters after that. Remember the days when he was only a little boy Playing on the gramophone It never entered our minds that the music would take over Piano lessons were designed to take his mind away from the gramophone Silly mommy and daddy figured that they were very clever He began to live for nothing else but the music that he heard We were wrong to try and take him away From the only thing that was close to his little heart We got to let him do his thing Got to let him be, got to set him free, let him fly away from where we want to try and tell him just how to live for the rest of his life. Let him fly away, let him dance to what he hears inside his mind. Let mama and papa tell him to go ahead and do the things he needs to do. Earlier, when you were describing the music of most of your career, you used the word scream, and it seems like there was a lot to scream about for most of your life, certainly in in South Africa. And I wonder, um, is this new, is this calm music, is it reflective of changes in your home country? Are things now at a place where you can make calmer, more reflective music, or is there still a lot a lot to be screaming about. I wasn't screaming about um, what was happening. I just, I'm not a singer, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, a screamer, hollerer, you know. Uh, Louis Armstrong told me, he said, listen, to get a thought across, you don't have to have a beautiful voice. Look at me, you know. I don't think uh, the songs that I sang about, like, concerns, I call them songs of concern. Um, I didn't scream them. I mean, I mean, like a song like Stimela, which is a train song, is a very delicate and sweet song. Except that uh, it uh, tells the plight of the people who work in the mines. Yeah, um, there'll always be, anywhere uh, in the world, there'll always be something um, to um, protest about, because injustice is rife all over. And the fact that we voted and stood in line uh, in an orderly fashion for three years, three days, and there was no fighting in South Africa. Doesn't mean it's not a you know life is not a movie. It doesn't mean that uh, things changed overnight. You know, this is a place that was at war for 350 years, and 50 years of that was under the yoke of apartheid. So um, when people go to uh, the polls and they vote. Uh, life doesn't change overnight, and where um, there's been major injustice, the damages take generations to fix. You take the United States, for instance. I mean, civil rights was like 40 years ago, maybe, you know, it was declared. 
died and and the voting rights were declared over 40 years ago but uh, when you go to african-american um, neighborhoods in the united states or latino barriers you still see uh, the effects of discrimination and they don't go away so people who don't notice that or don't mention Did, did music play, do you think, in the South African freedom struggle? It seems to be, for example, township music is really associated with uh, the struggles against apartheid. Is that is that just an easy thing for us outside of South Africa to grab well, onto, uh, or was it... The world, the world was conscientized uh, through music, you know, about South Africa. I think Miriam McGillow was the first person to hip uh, uh, people to what was happening in South Africa. Not only did she sing uh, uh, South African folk songs and traditional songs, but she also addressed the United Nations in 1963, which was the first time that people really found out about what was happening in South Africa. And uh, she recorded like an evening with Belafonte and Makeba, which was all like students' protest songs from South Africa. And she was banned from South Africa um, um, shortly after she left, and she was rebanned over and over again. But um, uh, by 1985, there wasn't a person in the world who made a CD, whether it was in Chinese or Indian, who didn't have one song that said "Free Mandela" or, or "Down with Apartheid" or "Free South Africa." So I come from the only country that was basically uh, the greatest catalyst world awareness about what was happening in South Africa came through music. On this uh, new album, Pola, there's, uh, there are two tunes that you didn't write, one of which uh, is The Joke of Life, which uh, many people will be familiar with uh, from your catalog. Uh, but the other is a tune called Malungelo. I th- hope I'm pronouncing that somewhat Malungelo, Malungelo. And yeah. Is that a tune from Malawi? Is that right? No, from Mozambique. I sing it with Mingash. Uh, the girl who's singing with me, the lady who's singing with me, she composed it. She's a wonderful singer. We're working on her album right now with Eric, and uh, she's a very prolific uh, composer and a uh, um, wonderful singer. So I asked her to like let me hear her tunes, and uh, um, that's the one that I chose for her to teach me. And we did that together. Nikane malunge lumula vanzi kuini matota mula vanzi kuini masunguka chama kaya karata Nikane malunge lumula vanzi kuini matota mula vanzi kuini masunguka chama kaya karata Zikoma hile chinti zama hila zoka mabolo zihangu nusela nzisuza zofana. Zikoma 
Despite all the, the many hundreds of jazz musicians that I interview, whenever I tell anybody who I'm interviewing, unless they're jazz fans, they never know who I'm talking about. But when I mentioned to some people that I was interviewing Hugh Masekela, because of Grazing in the Grass, many more people than normal knew who it was I was talking about. And I wonder, is that uh, is that a blessing, a curse, uh, the, the fact that uh, you're one of the few jazz musicians who actually had a tune that was a hit on the radio? How is that? Uh, um, how's that been for you? No, I don't. I don't think a hit has ever been a curse for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, anybody found a hit to be a curse? Uh, um, I mean, mine wasn't planned in any way, but um, no, it's not a curse. And then I don't really consider myself a jazz musician. You know, I consider myself a musician from South Africa who, like, um, uh, really drew influence from all over the world where I lived, and then um, I also went to conservatory and played in uh, uh, the, the uh, symphony orchestra. I'm, I might have been influenced by great uh, uh, African and, and uh, other American musicians from the, from the States when I was very young, but uh, um, I, don't, I, I never heard Miles Davis uh, call himself a jazz musician, or Dizzy Gillespie, or Duke Ellington, or even Louis Armstrong call themselves jazz musicians. I think jazz, uh, these are these are categories that I use mostly, uh, maybe by broadcasters, but mostly by by, by say music journalists or critics. And I, I, I've never really considered myself a jazz musician. I just considered myself a musician. Can you talk a little bit about Miriam Makeba and her her influence on you? Well, Miriam Makeba, um, I first heard when I was 13 years old, and uh, she just was she had just come on the scene. She was about 20 years old, and she like just mesmerized all of South Africa. And later on, uh, we became friends and lovers, and uh, we even got married. But she brought me to the United States to come to school. And asked uh, uh, Harry Belafonte to help uh, send me to school, and uh, the two of them were a major influence on me. But Miriam Magaba's mother was a traditional healer who had a seven octave voice, who sang like all kinds of traditional songs for healing uh, uh, um, uh, meetings. And uh, Miriam Magaba and her daughter and her siblings grew up uh, in those sessions. So when she came to the when I came, actually, I, I was like the, the the third missing part um, in the songs that she used to sing with her daughter. And the evenings when Miriam was home, we used to sing um, all the songs of her mother. And uh, I've recorded many, many of them. So she was like a great anchor in like, uh, keeping my heritage focused uh, together. Um, she was also like... Um, 
probably the most uh, generous person I've ever met. So Miriam sent hundreds of people to school. She um, conscientized the world about not only South Africa, but about Africa. And every president during her time in the 60s and 70s, just about every head of state in the world, you know, bowed at Miriam's feet. And she was she sang at the UN. She addressed the United Nations a whole lot of times. She raised funds for the Patriotic Front of uh, Zimbabwe uh, uh, when they were fighting their wars, for Frelimo in Mozambique, for MPLA in, in, in Angola, uh, for Swapo in Namibia, and for the ANC and the PNC in South, in South Africa. And um, um, she was just really like a real uh, protector and chronic love, chronic the quality of life of Africans. She gave most of her monies that she earned to, like, educating Africans uh, all over uh, uh, Africa and the Caribbean and South America. And uh, uh, was just uh, an amazing one-person foundation. And um, when she opened her mouth to sing, I, I don't think anybody could hold a candle to her. So she's the kind of person, I guess, like Louis Armstrong, who will always be with us. You know, she will, her presence will always be felt because she was more than just a singer. What is it that, that keeps you making music these days? What is it that, that makes it worth it for you? Well, I, I have to eat. <laughs> that's, that's not quite as romantic an answer. That's <laughs> I might have been hoping for. <laughs> hey, but at least it's honest. <laughs> I mean, basically, uh, it's my work. I've done this since I was 16, so I've done it for 54 years now. I'm dabbling in other things. I produce, like, theatrical uh, um, sh- uh, shows from time to time. I was, like, the co-writer of Sarafina. And I'm working on um, um, uh, film production as well, but, like... All, all that I do is music and culture-driven. Uh, I've been a musician since I was six years old, man, so it's the only thing I know well and that I live for. You know, when I was a kid, they couldn't get me away from the gramophone. Is it still fun? It's, it's, it's never been fun for me. I've never done it for fun. I've done it because I was passionate about it. I loved it, you know. I don't think like uh, when Picasso painted, he painted for fun. He painted because he loved it. And I think, uh, or Charles White, when he did paintings, I don't think he did them for fun. I think he did them because he loved it. And it was a form of expression, uh, but it's a form of expression about how I feel about life, obviously. Uh, Because I just don't sing uh, love songs, you know. Um, Out of the 50 albums I've made, you can count the, the love songs I've sung maybe on two hands only. So, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, if anybody's doing music for fun, they must be very rich before they do it.
That's Hugh Masekela from his new album, Pola. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find lots of great links and jazz news and written jazz interviews. You can also click on the Show Archive link to get all of the past shows. They're all free. They're all right there. They'll always be there. So check that out. We also have, uh, I don't know who we are, but the Royal We, we have a, a mailing list at our site. We are not amused. We have a mailing list at our site, uh, which you can find along the top of the Jazz Session page. Just click on Mailing List. You can also find it down along the side. And you should sign up for that. And the reason is, every once in a while, you get a little email which tells you what's coming up on the show and all that good stuff. Plus, every once in a while, you'll get a chance to win free music just by responding to your email. That's how cool it is. No spam, just uh, free CDs and info about jazz interviews. If you like interviews and reviews and free MP3s and that kind of thing, you should definitely check out allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find me and my stuff there, but you'll also find the work of hundreds of other very, very talented writers and reviewers and artists. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet. They've got a brand new album out called Serious Respect, and you can find out more at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Session logo. Really glad you were here for this episode, and I hope that you will come back for the next show. I also hope that you will always support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then stop back by next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.